This week on Geek Explained, part three of Geektober Gotham Nights gives us a look into the heart of the city through the eyes of someone who understands it better than anyone. Raised as the police commissioner's daughter and drafted into Batman's war on crime, Barbara Gordon hit the scene and built her legacy as Batgirl. <laughs> Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is part three of Geektober Gotham Nights, a month-long series dedicated to the protectors of Gotham City, specifically the four that are leading up the brand new video game Gotham Knights that is releasing later this month. It's only a week away. Can you believe it? It's coming up real, real quick. Uh, the past two weeks have been dedicated to Nightwing and Red Hood, respectively. And this week, we are talking Barbara Gordon. Babs has been in Gotham City fighting crime for a real long time, and we are now going to dive deep into her comic book history, give you a story that I think really sells just what the character is all about, and give you some additional reading to get you hyped and get you in the zone to play as Batgirl when the Gotham Knights game drops. We also have, of course, this week's Comics Countdown, where I'll be chatting you up about all the comics you should be checking out this week, so make sure you stay tuned for that after the jump. But for now, let's roll right on into the main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, as I geek explain Barbara Gordon, aka Batgirl. <laughs> I remember being introduced to Batgirl through the Batman animated series, and I remember even as a kid, I was like, oh, Batgirl knows what's up. Batgirl has a certain level of competency that other characters that she is constantly teamed up with don't have, <laughs> but... Barbara Gordon has also been a unique character, I think, in the Bat family because she comes from a police background. And it's not quite the same. It's not quite a one-to-one -one comparison. But coming from a military background where my dad was part of a organized structure that I oftentimes had issues with on an ethical level uh, gave me a reason to... I guess, sympathize with Babs's uh, frustrations with her father and the GCPD and the system as a whole. Uh, but Barbara Gordon's been with me for a very long time. We even, our our cat is named after Barbara Gordon. Her name is Babs. Uh, she's Barbara when she gets in trouble. But Barbara Gordon has been a character who I have 
loved seeing the evolution of and also been frustrated with at times the devolution of her as a character but when it comes to uh, Barbara's comic book history, when it comes to her career as a crime fighter, I don't know if you have someone who's made the best out of a bad situation better than Barbara Gordon. We're going to get into all of it. We have her whole comic book history coming, but for part three of Gotham Knights, I am very excited to dive into Babs because uh, she is... I think a fascinating example of a character who has been mistreated by editorial more than once, but through the strength of the creators involved with her stories has flourished over the years. So let's go ahead and dive into this. Let's do the character profile real quick. Uh, Barbara Gordon, a.k.a. Batgirl and Oracle, first appeared in Detective Comics number 359 way back, way, way back in January of 1967. She has been around for a very long time. Uh, she was created by Julius Schwartz, Gardner Fox, and Carmine Infantino. Her team affiliations include the Bat Family, the Justice League, Birds of Prey, the Seven Soldiers of Victory. Batman Incorporated, Young Justice, the GCPD, and the Suicide Squad. We will get into that. Her powers and abilities include being a master martial artist, an expert hacker, having a genius level intellect, being an expert detective, and having an eidetic memory. Her equipment as Batgirl include a Nomex fire-resistant triple-weave Kevlar line costume, a utility belt with all sorts of bat gadgets, including batarangs, and a multi-use cowl with several different styles of lenses. As Oracle, her equipment includes various computer equipment and hacking tools, escrima sticks, which she trained with... Uh, Richard Dragon to become an expert at, as well as her trademark Batarangs. Now, before we get into her comic book history, I just want to touch real quick on her actual creation, because it's one of the things that I think is fascinating, right? Uh, Batgirl as a concept had been around for a while. We had a Batgirl, we had a Batwoman, uh, Kathy Kane and Bet Kane, respectively, and... It's interesting to me that it wasn't until they needed a female, uh, not necessarily a lead, but a female uh, crime fighter in the Batman 66 TV show that the idea of Barbara Gordon became a twinkle in the eyes of DC Comics. Uh, Yvonne Craig played Batgirl in the D in the Batman 66 cartoon and cartoon uh it was basically a live action cartoon and she was later on uh brought into the comics with a very similar costume and was brought into critical acclaim i think uh batgirl also even almost had her own spinoff before you know hollywood politicking happened so batgirl is one of those rare comic book characters that started off in another medium and then found large success in the comic books. I think Harley Quinn, for one, is uh, an obvious example that you can think of, but it's pretty cool that this character has stayed the test of time after just being, you know, this idea to get more, uh, get more viewers to a TV show. But let's dive into the comic book history of this character, because it is wild. Uh, there's, right off the bat, 
something that I constantly forget about and something that I had to be reminded of when I was doing the research for this episode. Uh, Starting off with her origin, Barbara Gordon was born to Roger and Thelma Gordon all the way in the far-flung country of Ohio. That's right, Barbara Gordon, depending on the continuity, is not the daughter of James Jimmy Jim Jimbo Jim Gordon. Now, this has changed, obviously, a lot, but as I've stated in the previous two episodes, we're going to be going with the post-crisis origin before talking about tweaks as they happen throughout this this comic book history breakdown. But post-crisis, Barbara Gordon was born to Roger and Thelma in Ohio, however, her parents died of a car accident, unfortunately, when she was 13, and she was adopted by her uncle Jim Gordon and was moved on over to Gotham City. Uh, Barbara had a rough time really fitting in and kind of making the transition to being, you know, Jim and also Barbara's daughter. It's very weird, very strange, having your uh, your adopted mother also named your name, but she made it work. She made it work, and eventually she had something else that she could focus on because shortly after being brought into Jim's family, she discovered that Jim had a very special partnership, that being with the local vigilante and urban myth, the Batman. Now, Following the uh, discovery of Jim and Batman's partnership, Babs became obsessed with Batman, wanting to make a difference, being kind of uh, enchanted by the idea of Batman. She romanticized the crime-fighting crusade that Batman had been on and begged Jim, well, you say begged, but probably more like demanded, uh, that he enroll her in self-defense classes. And at the same time, she began studying law and criminal justice so that she could do absolutely everything within her power to make a difference just like her adopted father and his secret partner were doing. However, she found out that she wouldn't be able to follow in her father's footsteps because she was denied enrollment in not just the police academy, but also in the FBI due to, as it's stated on the comic book page, the fact that she did not meet the height requirement, though I'm sure it's alluded to in at least one story that we'll talk about that Jim had a hand in her denial from the police academy. Now, This all led to the million-dollar debut of Batgirl, where at a GCPD-hosted million-dollar masquerade put up by Bruce Wayne and funded by the Playboy billionaire, Barbara, in an act of defiance and rebellion towards her father, decided to fashion herself a Batman costume, taking a Batman costume from a local costume shop and sewing it up and trimming it and all that stuff down so that she could essentially be a female Batman to piss off her dad. However, when she arrived to this masquerade ball, she found that she wasn't the only one trying to crash the party. It was being crashed by the one, the only, Killer Moth! Killer Moth showed up with his hench goons and laid waste to the masquerade ball. However, 
Batgirl decided to get involved and help to dispatch Killer Moth, at least for the moment, before being confronted by Batman and his young sidekick Robin, who made it very clear that he was sweet on old Batgirl. And the two of them at first clashed with Batgirl, though later on, after proving herself, decided to welcome her into the fold. Following this, Barbara began her career as the Batgirl, having adventures both in and out of Gotham City, while also meeting a similar crime fighter known as Supergirl. Though, post-crisis, all of these meetings with her were retconned into being meetings with Power Girl, with her not meeting Supergirl post-crisis until after she had already become Oracle. Shh, we're getting to that. Also during this time, while it may have started as an unrequited or a uh, very unwanted crush from Dick Grayson, the first Robin, eventually the two did get together romantically and had your series of ups and downs. Which, ultimately, she needed. She needed a rock because she was about to go through some very, very tough times. Uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths happened with the death of Supergirl, with Batgirl's really only involvement in that story being giving Supergirl's eulogy, which is unfortunate, but that was the comics politics of the time. And... Of course, post-crisis, things, certain things were reset, certain things were changed, like I mentioned before, the uh, the meetings with Power Girl. Uh, and after a certain amount of time where she was starting to uh, get into college age and starting to kind of pine for a life outside of the Cape and Cowl, she decided after rounding up a big old drug bust for for one of the notable crime families in Gotham, that she was going to retire. She decided she was going to take her Batgirl uh, career, set it on the shelf for now, maybe she'd come back to it, but for now she just wanted to be Barbara Gordon. However, the criminal underworld was not finished with Barbara Gordon, which leads us to the killing joke, which is just one of the worst uh, examples of fridging that I've ever seen in a comic book ever. And the more I come back to it, let's just, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to go off on a tangent for a moment. The more I come back to it, the more I just do not like the killing joke. It's a fine story. I don't think it's, you know, this seminal classic that everyone needs to read. Like, I see almost on a weekly basis when it comes to Barbara Gordon as a character that people will say, oh, you know, recommended reading for Barbara Gordon. It's got to be killing joke. And I'm like, why? Like, I understand that the event is, you know, notable for Barbara Gordon, but she plays such a small role in that and is used really only to push forward the narrative and the character arcs for Gordon and for Batman that how could you recommend that to someone who wants to read more Batgirl? It's just, I just think it's interesting, personally. I just think it's a little strange. But uh, that being said, 
the killing joke did unfortunately happen. Uh, while having a visit from her father, uh, Barbara Gordon got a knock at her apartment door and found the Joker and his goons standing there. The Joker shooting her in the abdomen, the bullet piercing through her spine and causing paralysis from the waist down. Uh, she was also not very well treated in that book, and I'm just going to leave it at that. However... Uh, she was the primary witness when uh, Batman tried to figure out what happened following the kidnapping of Jim Gordon, and ultimately she was what pushed Batman to uh, go get Gordon from the Amusement Mile amusement park and resulted in the rescue of her father. Unfortunately, this meant for now the end of any kind of hopes of returning to her cape and cowl as Barbara Gordon was basically forced into keeping with her retirement. This was not her end with crime fighting, however, because following her paralysis and her attack, uh, Barbara Gordon was having a very hard time with dealing with the result of her attack, the PTSD that came with it, and the trauma that she had suffered. And she was having very uh, a, a, a very difficult period of depression. However, one night, she had a dream where she dreamed of a Greek chorus, a Greek setting, where she saw the Oracle at Delphi, a character in Greek literature that spreads information, tells, you know, the story that is being set, and this inspired her to get back to work. And so taking inspiration from the Oracle in her dream, she decided to be an Oracle for the superhero community, uh, prioritizing information gathering, developing and enhancing her computer tech. At the same time, she also began training with Richard Dragon, getting uh, very skilled in the escrima sticks that she had seen uh, former lover Nightwing use to perfection. And this was when she was drafted by Amanda Waller to be part of the Suicide Squad as their main source of information. Uh, this was a very interesting time because for the, for the first few appearances of Oracle in the Suicide Squad comic book, uh, she really, there was no, uh, no inkling that this was Barbara Gordon. Oracle was just the information gatherer, was just the intel, uh, dispenser for the Suicide Squad. And it wasn't until a pretty significant way into the Suicide Squad book that it was revealed that it was, in fact, Barbara Gordon. And this is where we have to give uh, credit to the Ostranders, who were uh, the Helms people, the architects of that Suicide Squad book, and were absolutely disgusted with the treatment of Barbara Gordon in the, uh, in the Killing Joke, so decided to take her and make her her very own uh, specialized superhero, which I absolutely love. Uh, she also, through her role as Oracle, restored her partnership with Batman. Though it was tentative, it was a little strained because Batman was uh, a little too overprotective of Barbara, even though her main role was, once again, information gathering, hacking, and all of the like. 
Now, uh, this partnership was not the only one that suffered. Unfortunately, she tried to have a close partnership with Power Girl, and the two did not get along and had a very disastrous first outing, which resulted in not just one, but two uh, very angry people not ever wanting to work together again. But thankfully, a brand new partnership was on the horizon as following her teaming up tentatively with Black Canary, Dinah Laurel Lance, uh, they were joined by the Huntress and Lady Blackhawk to form the first iteration of the Birds of Ray. This group went on several different adventures together, establishing a pretty, I think, recognizable brand. Uh, the group was specialized in street-level crime, though also punched up sometimes into some uh, more wide-reaching events, as well as uh, some pretty heavy hitters when it came to the supervillain community. Uh, this led into the No Man's Land event, where due to the quarantine of Gotham and the lack of a lot of her original uh, network, Barbara started using agents throughout the ruins of the city, uh, which introduced both Barbara and the reader to one Cassandra Kane. Now, Cass was originally presented to us as one of the orphans in Barbara's network of informants. However, later on, Cassandra was revealed to be the daughter of not just Lady Shiva, but also David Kane, two of the deadliest killers in all of DC Comics. During this event, uh, Cassandra donned a brand new Batgirl costume, and though she was quite apprehensive at first, Barbara eventually did give Cassandra her blessing to become Batgirl and began mentoring the girl during this No Man's Land event and beyond. However, everything would come to a head during the War Games event, where her partnership with Batman was strained due to his misuse of not just the Bat family, but also with her as a person, relying too heavily on her to gather information and to coordinate the Bat family in the way that Batman should have been able to step up and do. During this event as well, uh, she broke up with Dick Grayson, putting further strain on her relationship with the Bat family. And during the event, with everything coming to a head, in a climactic moment, Barbara blew up her base of operations, the Clock Tower, to more or less fake Oracle's death, and at least to the supervillain community in Gotham City, and to strike a blow into the opposition at the time, and she relocated to Metropolis to kind of start things fresh, though she still had some issues. In Metropolis, she continued on as Oracle, providing more intel and hacker support to the superheroes in Metropolis. However, being someone who is very close to computers in Metropolis, ended up bringing her into the path of Brainiac, who had infected her with a virus of some sort, wanting to use her as a vessel. Thankfully, she was cured of this Brainiac influence, and during the uh, aftermath of this, ended up engaged to Dick Grayson, which is, you know, good. I... Uh, 
let's let's go off on the tangent here. I have stated many, 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 many times that I am a Nightwing Starfire guy. I just am. It's just how it's been. However, it cannot be understated just how entwined Dick Grayson and Barbara Gordon are as characters. I do truly believe they are soulmates, but, you know, you don't always end up with your soulmates. So I am still Nightwing, Starfire all the way, but uh, lots of history between Dick and Babs. Now, this engagement, unfortunately, was not meant to last because shortly after the engagement began, Infinite Crisis hit the DC Universe like a ton of bricks. And both Dick and Babs were pulled in two different directions, with Dick having to deal with a chemical attack on Bloodhaven while Oracle engaged in a war of strategy with the Secret Society, dealing with them not just on a hacking level, but also on a chess level level, where she would coordinate efforts against the society while it was also coordinating against her. As she would come to find out, uh, her main opposition in the secret society was a man by the name of the Calculator, who was just as skilled in all forms of hacking and computer intel as she was. So this gave her her first big, you know, challenge in that department. Following the conclusion of Infinite Crisis, Dick Grayson was almost killed by Superboy Prime and decided following the event to go with uh, Bruce and Tim on a tour around the world to revisit all of the places that Bruce had visited as Batman. Now, this did not sit well with Barbara because, hey, you just died and now you're leaving again. So she called the wedding off, gave Dick back the wedding ring, and said that she would be here if he needs her, but that obviously this was not the time for them. This takes us to one year later, where we see the roster of the Birds of Prey continue to rotate. Black Canary uh, was... On her way out of the group, and Huntress was taking the role as leader, uh, but it also brought in Big Barda of Apocalypse to the group, which, I mean, bring more Barba. Barda. I'm just going to say Barbara. I've been saying Barbara a lot. Uh, bring in more Barda, always. Barda instantly upgrades your book from any tier instantly to instant classic. Uh, this also involved the war with a character called the Spy Smasher, Katarina Armstrong, who was not necessarily friends with Barbara, but did have a backstory with her. And the conclusion of this uh, of this event forced Barbara to rethink her place on the Birds of Prey team. Uh, however. She continued her work with the wider superhero community, aiding in the coordinated apprehension of both the Trickster and the Pied Piper, following their roles in the death of Bart Allen the Flash. She then uh, reignited her rivalry with the Calculator, having several hacking duels across several different arcs, and she was also present for the wedding of Green Arrow and Black Canary. And though when the news was brought to her, she was very apprehensive about it, noting that Green Arrow, specifically Oliver Queen, was not 
the most stable guy. Uh, he, she did eventually end up being part of the wedding party, and the wedding was a success. Now, following this, she had several different team-ups with other members of the DC Universe, including Mr. Terrific, and teamed up with him specifically to battle Darkseid and the Anti-Life Equation during the Final Crisis event. Now, this was the precursor to a very large uh, shift in the lives of the Bat family, because following the events of Final Crisis, the world found itself without a Batman. Bruce was seemingly killed by Darkseid at the conclusion of the event, which brought us to the Batman R.I.P. as well as Battle for the Cal events. Uh, following Bruce's quote-unquote death in Final Crisis, she made her way to visit Nightwing in New York to more or less convince him that, hey, we need you in Gotham. We need all hands on deck. Bruce is gone. We need to come together as a family. And was instrumental in convincing Dick to leave his life in New York City behind to return to his home. Now, following this, she had also been living in Metropolis during all of the things I just talked about. So she did the same thing, relocating to Gotham alongside Dick and bringing the Bat family together for the battle for the cowl. While Jason Todd reigned absolute uh, havoc on the entire city, more in that last episode if you want to get a more detailed uh, explanation on the battle for the cowl event. Uh, Barbara found herself uh, crossing paths with Hugo Strange, who was committed to not just exposing the rest of the Bat family, but also utilizing Barbara's information web to his own devices, while also, of course, continuing her long-running feud with the calculator. Now, it was also during this time that she realized that being away from Gotham meant she missed out on some stuff, including Cass's retirement as Batgirl. Cassandra had moved on to become the leader of the League of Assassins. We're not going to get into it. There's a lot going on in that. Uh, if you'd like a Cassandra Kane episode one day, let me know. I can do that. However, this did not mean that Batgirl was a vacant role in Gotham City because the former spoiler daughter of the Clue Master, Stephanie Brown, stepped into the role as Batgirl. Barbara was once again apprehensive, knowing that the last time Stephanie took over a legacy role, she died! However, she teamed up with Steph on an initial mission to take down both Scarecrow and the Black Mask, and following the successful mission, she gave Steph her blessing and became a mentor figure in Steph's uh, new role as Batgirl. Following this, the Blackest Night event took place, and she found herself at one point possessed by Deadman, who just used her physical prowess to take out a bunch of people, as well as finally realizing during the event and through the uh, through the urging and the insistence of Dick to put Bruce's body into the Lazarus pit, that this was in fact not Bruce Wayne, that he was still alive somewhere, sometime, someplace. This led directly into the Brightest Day event, as well as the reformation of the Birds of Prey, who teamed up once again, figuring out that life is too short. Except when you're a comic book character and then life continues to be longer and longer. However, uh, bringing the group back together was really, it was, it was a welcome reunion. 
in a subsequent battle, once again with the calculator, she ended up faking her death to uh, save some of the people that she was connected to in her personal life because calculator had, in fact, deduced her true identity. And in secret, Barbara began helping out the uh, Batman Incorporated company that Bruce had just started, placing a Batman all over the world. She tentatively continued her, or I guess reestablished her relationship with Bruce, helping him out on the tech front to run and coordinate this Batman Incorporated. She then found herself in a very complicated situation because her older brother returned to town. James Gordon Jr. had never been someone who Barbara was especially close to. Uh, he was not exactly uh, right in the head following the events of Batman Year One when he was dropped from a bridge. And as we came to find out, James's psychosis had evolved into full-on serial killer tendencies. So Barbara is kidnapped by James during this event and is ultimately rescued by Batman and Jim Gordon, though she does uh, put up a hell of a fight during this event. Also, as an aside, Black Mirror, incredible story. I love it so much. I've done a full episode on it. It is one of my favorite. It might be my favorite Batman comic of all time. Um, and it just ha so happens to have the best Batman. So don't at me. Uh, unfortunately, this was Barbara's last notable story before the New 52 happened. New 52, of course, was the company-wide reboot that said that everything that happened was in the past five years. So Batgirl was... So Barbara was Batgirl, she went through the killing joke, she was Oracle, all in the span of five years, which is ridiculous. Five years? Five years? Five? You know what? We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to get into it. We're, not, we're just, we're not. But what this reboot did do was retcon some little things about the origin. Uh, Barbara was now the actual daughter of Jim and Barbara Eileen Gordon, and... I mean, it's a minor thing, but I don't know. It's it's it it, it seems it, it was a shall we say a streamlining of the origin, which I get, I understand. Uh, however, the biggest thing that the New Fifty Two did was put Barbara back in the role of Batgirl. In her series, her brand new series in the New 52, uh, Barbara had undergone experimental surgery at a South African clinic, which gave her her restored mobility, and she returned to action as Batgirl, fighting crime like nothing had ever happened. Uh, this series was actually is actually kind of underrated, to be honest. Uh, Gail Simone was writing the character and kicked ass because Gail Simone loves Barbara Gordon. The death of the family event happened where she ended up going up against the Joker once again, reliving her trauma and having to face it head on, as well as dealing with her serial killer brother at the very same time. So that is a no good, very bad day for Barbara Gordon, let's just say. She then ran afoul of a villain called The Mirror, who was a 
let's say a problematic character going after survivors of major accidents and was unfortunately framed for murder at the same time. So the Batgirl murderer arc was, uh, was actually not that bad. It, it sounds weird, but I mean, it's just as good as Bruce Wayne murderer and Bruce Wayne fugitive. Sue me. Um, she then did make her uh, return to the Birds of Prey group, which had been without her for some time, operating as Huntress, uh, Black Canary, and Katana. And even though uh, she was initially brought in to reform the group, she volunteered Katana instead and then did join the group later on in the run. This led into a very let's just say polarizing period for Barbara, the Burnside era of Batgirl. Uh, she began studying for her PhD in the Gotham Borough of Burnside and began a brand new look, a brand new uh, aesthetic led by Babs Tarr, a wonderful artist who uh, I would say, you know, did a great job in revitalizing that character. Um, not that Barbara Gordon ever needs, like, quote-unquote, modernizing, but it was cool to see a, a new, you know, a new take on the character, let's say. Uh, however, this new take did not come without its pitfalls. Uh, Barbara, as Batgirl, then had to deal with Oracle, not her former identity, but in fact an AI algorithm that had been essentially born from her work as Oracle, and the two clashed several times during the Spurnside era. Uh, this also coincided with the Forever Evil event, where uh, Nightwing Dick Grayson was supposedly killed. However, uh, later on, she would run across the Agent 37 of Spiral, which was revealed to be Dick Grayson himself, the two re-sparking their romance, if just for a moment. She also, during this time, teamed up with the new Batman, which means this happened at the same time as Super Heavy. Uh, we've done an episode on it. It's wonderful. Go check that out. We teamed up with the Comics Collective. It was great. Uh, I absolutely love the fact that both Barbara and Jim were superheroes at the same time and did not know it for each other. Uh, it's wonderful. It's it's a great little uh, evolution of that relationship that I really, really like. Uh, Batgirl did eventually go beyond Burnside, having uh, some globetrotting adventures dealing with some assassins all over the world. And she continued to... Uh, revitalize her relationship with the Birds of Prey with that book uh, also happening around this time as well. This brings us to the Rebirth era, where she returned to Gotham City to kick ass and chew bubblegum, and she was, of course, all out of bubblegum. Uh, she began a crime war with the Penguin, where the two traded wins and losses throughout the city, and also had a fun little rematch with Killer Moth, who she hadn't run across since her early days as Batgirl. Uh, we did see as the Rebirth era continued that Barbara was now going to have to deal with the legacy of Oracle as a brand new Oracle seemed to be taking the stage one that did not exactly like Barbara Gordon as Batgirl. 
she found herself attacked on all sides, first by this rebooted Oracle and then by the return of James Gordon Jr., who continued to be a very uh, creepy presence in her life. However, everything came to a head during the Joker War event, where she found herself back in the chair as Oracle, reinstating her in that role and bringing her back to Basically where she was pre-New 52, just with the occasional dip into being Batgirl again. Which we would see as she made her way to Bloodhaven to rekindle her romance with Dick Grayson in the current Nightwing book. I absolutely love this book. I love the two of them together, even though, as I've stated... I'm a Dick Corey guy, just saying, but I do love their dynamic. I love how capable both of them are, both with and without each other. Which brings us to Fear State. Fear State was a Batman-wide event where Scarecrow was waging war on everybody in Gotham City. Uh, During this, Nightwing was called back to Gotham and ended up teaming up with not one, not two, but three Batgirls. Barbara Gordon taking the lead with both Cass and Steph reinstated as Batgirls following her lead. This leads us into the current Batgirls book, which you can pick up right now, which is where this comic book history ends. Uh, This story has been wonderful so far. The art is fantastic, so definitely pick up Batgirls, as well as the current Nightwing book, if you want to catch up with Barbara's current life and times. Uh, For the spotlight book for this week, wanted to put a... uh, put some emphasis on a book that I have wanted to talk about on the podcast for a long time, and that is Batgirl Year One, from 2003, written by Scott Beatty and Chuck Dixon, with art by Marcos Martin. Uh, As the title states, this is the first year of Barbara's time as Batgirl. I'm a huge fan of this book, always have been. A great companion piece to this is Robin Year One. I love both of those books. Um, You know, it's, it's hard to talk about the books without, you know, mentioning... Chuck Dixon as a person who is not a great person, but the story itself is really, really strong. Uh, It sets up Batgirl as, you know, retelling her origin while also establishing her in her own right away from Batman and Robin. The times that they do run into each other in Clash, I think, are really fun, but the spotlight is purely on Barbara establishing herself not just as a member of the Bat family, but also a hero in her own right. Which, of course, feeds into her storyline in Gotham Knights, presumably, as she tries to establish herself alongside her Gotham Knights uh, teammates, as well as in a Gotham City without the Batman. Uh, I love this story. I think it's a wonderful origin as well as just a solid Batgirl story like there are quite a few Batgirl stories and we will talk about them in just a second that I think are a wonderful character piece for Barbara but I do think that Batgirl year one is of course the easiest book to get into establishing the character introducing the character and explaining why the character works and why she has lasted all of these decades on for additional reading you can check out her million dollar debut in the original Batgirl appearance you can check out the first volume of Birds of Prey entitled Of Like Minds where she first teams up with Black Canary the Huntress and Lady Blackhawk Uh, you can check out Darkest Reflection 
Reflection from the New 52. This was the first volume of the uh, New 52 Gail Simone run, which, again, very underrated. I would also recommend Batgirl of Burnside. I know it is, like I said, a very polarizing book. A lot of people liked it. A lot of people didn't like it because they felt like it infantilized Barbara, regressing her character, making her feel more teenage and hip for the youngsters. But I liked the energy. I liked the amount of... um, fresh paint that this gave to the character because I mean when you are returning the character to this Batgirl role in the new 52 uh, there's only so far you can go before you start to hit retreaded ground and I feel like bringing her to Burnside giving her a new supporting cast actually gave her a lot of great story potential and gave her a lot of ammunition to tell further stories that we hadn't seen yet for Batgirl, for Barbara Gordon as Batgirl. Of course, I prefer when Batgirl is Oracle, when Batgirl is Oracle, when Barbara is Oracle, so I will always drift towards stories like that feature her as such, like in the Batgirls book, which I would also recommend. Uh, Batgirls is great. It mostly stars Cass and Steph, though Barbara is the mentor figure, coordinating them in her role as Oracle, and sometimes even suiting up from time and again. But ultimately, I do think that where Babs is right now is probably my preferred version. I think that her operating mainly as Oracle, while suiting up as Batgirl for special occasions or big events, makes the most sense to me in this new post-New 52. She's had, you know, reconstruction and is able to walk again. I do think that Barbara Gordon is a strong character when she is a victim of tragedy and is able to make the best of a bad situation while also being one of the few disabled heroes in comics. But I do think that having her in a prominent role is needed, regardless of whether she's Batgirl or Oracle. Which does, I guess, bring up the question, is Barbara Gordon the best Batgirl? She originated, technically, the role, but is she the best to ever wear the mantle? Well, if I'm being honest, and you know I try to be as honest and upfront as I can on this podcast, I would have to say that Truly, the best Batgirl is actually... This information has been redacted by the Oracle. Have a nice day. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week, whether it's at your local comic book shop or comicsology or however you get your comics. These are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geek Explain Pick of the Week of last week. And for me, you know what it is. Do a powerbomb number five. Uh, Daniel Warren Johnson, Mike Spicer... I cannot sing the praises of this book enough. It is incredible. It is continually the best book from month to month that I am picking up, and I absolutely adore it with all my heart. So that's it. Let's talk about this week's books. This week, we've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 books for you to check out. So let's dive into this list. First off, Dark Crisis Young Justice number five. This is written by Megan Fitzmartin with art by Laura Braga. And even though the book isn't 
maybe necessarily my favorite. Uh, I've been enjoying it. I do think that it's, you know, having this Trinity is cool. Um, and I think that it's, it, you know, it's, it's a good re, uh, reintroduction to these three as teammates as friends and it's a uh, it's an interesting angle that they're taking with it so i usually enjoy when they have like the younger members of the of the dc universe take you know take part in some big tie-ins and since literally everyone else is actually fighting a war against deathstroke we got to give something for these kids to do so i'm gonna enjoy this let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis Here's Mickey, Mickey Mitzes Pitalik, son of Mick, Mr. Mixes Pitalik, built the perfect world where he and the boys of Young Justice could rule without being criticized, without having to change, without ever having to grow up. Mickey has an ugly soul and too much power. The boys of Young Justice will have to overcome their shortcomings and defeat him to get back to the DCU they know and need. So yeah, pretty much tells you all you need to know, and we're getting the son of Mr. Mitz's Pitalik. So what more could you ask for? Next up, we have Miracle Man, the Silver Age number one. This is written by Neil Gaiman with art by Mark Buckingham. Miracle Man is back! Uh, lots of Miracle Man hype this year. We actually did an episode with uh, Owen Likes Comics back in January, going through the character's history, talking about why he matters. So if you haven't yet, go back and check that out episode out i always love having owen on and he actually got to geek explain to me what mr miracle or mr miracle what miracle man is and so i really enjoyed that episode so go check that out this is uh miracle man's you know his first marvel book technically so i am very intrigued let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis the silver age begins again after 30 years, Neil Gaiman and Mark Buckingham's unfinished storyline, The Silver Age, begins. Young Miracle Man, the lost member of the Miracle Man family, is back. His last memories were of a 1963 world of joy and innocence. Now, he's been thrust into the 21st century, where his best friends have become gods and monsters. Remastered with stunning new artwork by Mark Buckingham, including material originally presented in Miracle Man 1985, number 23, plus bonus content so it looks like this is more of a reprint than a new story however i don't believe that that is going to be the case for the entire book so i am very interested uh miracle man's coming miracle man is coming up quick Next up, we have Batman, One Bad Day, The Penguin, number one. This is written by John Ridley with art by Giuseppe Comincoli. I feel like the two of them work together the most. Like, the person who works together, and maybe this is just because they had that long run with the other history of the DC Universe, but I feel like John Ridley and Comincoli work very well together. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. The Penguin's criminal enterprise and the Iceberg Lounge have been stolen from underneath him by his former associate, the Umbrella Man. The Umbrella Man has removed all of the rules for crime in Gotham City that the Penguin put in place, and the city is in chaos. The Penguin is a broken man, and he'll have to travel through the burning streets of Gotham with a gun and a single bullet, putting together a new crew to take back what he's built. Will Batman help the devil he knows, or face the devil he doesn't in the form of the Umbrella Man? A crime epic from the team behind the critically acclaimed other history of the DC Universe. Don't miss it. 
Uh, having the penguin do a warrior's story sounds really freaking cool. So I am into it. I'm looking forward to picking this up. Next up, we have The Flash, number 787. This is written by Jeremy Adams with art by Fernando Pazarin. And it's Wally West. And if this, uh, this, this cover has anything to do with it, it's Wally West in pro wrestling. So you know that I have to pick this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. It's Monday night somewhere. Mondays, am I right? What? Jesus. Uh, Wally West is back. I, I keep thinking of that stupid uh, WandaVision meme. Like, Mondays, am I right? Uh, Wally West is back from his adventure to save Barry Allen. But there's no time to celebrate. As a new alien with a penchant for golden belts and trucker hair has added a new sting to the life of the Flash. This stone cold heart stopper of an issue will have you screaming, Oh my god! As the Scarlet's... <laughs> Oh, as the Scarlet Speedster gets clotheslined in the face by a whole new era of attitude. Whoever wrote this synopsis was specifically knowing that I was going to read it on this podcast. Uh, it's two of my loves, comic books and pro wrestling, so you know I'm picking this up. Cannot wait to read this. Next up, we have Defenders Beyond number four. This is written by Al Ewing with art by Javier Rodriguez. And Defenders Beyond has been fantastic. I've been really enjoying it. Um, the art is gorgeous. The storytelling is really fun. And uh, it's just been a good old-fashioned comic book. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. On their quest to save reality itself, the Defenders have stared down the Beyonder and survived the scorching flames of the Phoenix. But now Loki and co. must face their greatest threat yet themselves. The defenders find themselves in a plane of possibility where they are hunted by visions of the lives they wish they could have if only the Dreamweaver warns they didn't have the others holding them back. Will they turn against each other or accept closing those doors? I love path-less-traveled stories. I love it. I love it. I think it's fantastic. I am very excited, especially with this group of characters. Blue Marvel especially. I'm very interested. I got the uh, the Blue Marvel Marvel Legends figure, and it is nice. So I'm very excited to see what this uh, potential, you know, whatever happened to the Defenders of Beyond story has in store. Next up, we have Deceased War of the Undead Gods, number three, written by Tom Taylor with art by Trevor Harrison and Andy Lanning. Uh, this book's been great. I mean, DC's War of the Gods, Deceased has been incredible, and uh, looks like from this cover, we're going to be getting some uh, super family throwdowns. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. The blockbuster final arc in the series continues. As a warrior princess is mourned on Themyscira, an old god comes to warn of the threat of the new gods. Meanwhile, across the stars, Adam Strange fights the unthinkable, and the main man himself, Lobo, tears his way into Deceased. New battle lines are drawn as the anti-living spread across the universe. Yeah, this is number three of eight, so we are not even halfway through this book. I am stoked to pick this up. Next up, we have X-Men number 16. This is written by Jerry Duggan with art by Joshua Kassara. I really actually enjoyed last issue. I thought it was a great start into the new arc for X-Men. Uh, having Forge trying to pull a No Man Left Behind into the vault to rescue Darwin, I think is an incredible 
I think it's an incredible story prompt, and it also kind of sidelines Forge so you can tell the story while Judgment Day is going on. So it's very smart, very clever, and Forge isn't a character who gets a lot of spotlight, so I'm excited for this. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Forging a way ahead. Really? Uh, Forge has a secret mission that he's been working on for the Quiet Council for some time. Now that he's been elected to be one of the X-Men, it's time to put it into action, even if it does break some of the laws of Krakoa. Forge is going to kill some people. Forge is going to kill some people. Mark my words. Uh, this is going to be very interesting. Can't wait to pick this up. Next up, we have Nightwing, number 97. This is written by Tom Taylor with art by Bruno Redondo. You know how much I love that there Nightwing, so I cannot wait to pick this up. And uh, it it feels correct having a... This cover is gorgeous. It's Nightwing and Batgirl, but they're filled in by the cityscape. I mean, come on. it's gorgeous. Bruno Redondo is doing some of the best work of his entire career in this Nightwing book. But it feels correct to have Barbara Gordon on the, uh, on the cover during Barbara Gordon Week. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Batgirl gives Nightwing her answer, and they have a long talk with each other about what that means. What does that mean? I don't know. We're going to have to find out. Uh, I am sweating bullets. Should be very interesting. Next up, we have Captain America, symbol of truth number six. This is written by Tochio Nyabuchi with art by Iguara. Uh, Sam Wilson, his book is very good. It's very good. Also, of course, R.B. Silva uh, on art as well. I am, um, I, j- I just, I'm loving it. I'm loving this book. It's a great time to be a Cap fan, especially when you are looking at the comics. Uh, can't wait to pick this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Pax Mohanda starts here. Still reeling from his conflict with Wakanda, Sam Wilson is called to the international stage once again to protect a visiting politician from the African nation of Mohanda. But the White Wolf has already put the second stage of his plan into motion, with dire consequences for both Sam's closest friends and Mohanda. Old allies return and new enemies rise in this thrilling new chapter of Captain America, Symbol of Truth. I kind of like that they're almost taking a Batman and Batman Incorporated uh, approach to this, where Steve is very clearly the U.S. Captain America, while Sam is the Captain America of the world. Uh, I really like that approach. It makes it it makes sense that the two can operate without stepping on each other's toes this way. So I really enjoy it. I think it's a great status quo, and I can't wait to pick this book up. Next up, we have Batman Superman World's Finest, number eight. This is written by Mark Wade with art by Dan Mora. And I've been singing the praises of this book for a long time, and I will continue to do so because it's a great book. This book rules. I love it so much. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Strange Visitor, Chapter 2. Reckless youth continues as Superman and Batman struggle to mentor the new boy, Thunder. The key has drawn the world's finest team into an impossible dilemma unlike any they've ever faced when the entire city of Metropolis goes into a deadly lockdown. So that sounds really interesting. I like this idea of bringing in this boy, Thunder, as a secret sidekick that we didn't know about. Uh, Like I said, world's finest, best book that DC is putting out right now. Next up, we have Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings, number four. This is written by Jean Lun Yang with art by Marcus Toe. I love this book to death. And the current status quo with the Ten Rings, I think, is very interesting. And I've just, I've been loving this book. There's no bad happening around this. I love this to death. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. 
The Game of Rings starts here. Shang-Chi must compete in a martial arts tournament against some of his deadliest foes. The winning prize? The Ten Rings. But who has staged this contest, and does Shang-Chi truly want to win? I find it really funny because it kind of seems like they gave him the Ten Rings to, like, you know, synergize the MCU, but the entire time has been either Shang-Chi rejecting the rings, them being taken for him, from him, or now he has to fight to win them. Uh, they are much more interested in telling Shang-Chi stories than Ten Rings stories, and I kind of love that for them. So I am looking forward to this. You know how much I love me a tournament arc, so I cannot wait to pick this up. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely pick up, is Rogues Number 4. This is written by Joshua Williamson with art by Leo Max, and I do believe this is the conclusion of the Rogues story. I may be wrong, but I think this is it, and it's been a wild ride. It's been a much-delayed ride, but it's been a wild ride, and I absolutely love this story. I love heist stories, and I love the Rogues, so I can't wait to pick this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Gorilla City Blues. All the rogues wanted was a better life for themselves, but that's all over thanks to all their greed and backstabbing. Those still left alive are busted up with their backs against the wall, and Grodd's forces are closing in. With no heroes racing to save them, they must make a deadly deal with Gorilla Grodd to survive. So this sounds like it is going to be a very uh, noir-esque ending where nobody wins and people just survive. So I can't wait to pick this up. I've been loving this book. If you enjoy heist stories, if you enjoy noir stories, if you enjoy backstabbing and, you know, Dirty Dozen style, everyone is the worst version of themselves, even if they try not to be, this is the story for you. Uh, This book is wonderful and you should be absolutely be picking it up this Wednesday. So to recap, we have Dark Crisis, Young Justice number five, Miracle Man, The Silver Age number one, Batman, One Bad Day, The Penguin number one, The Flash number 787, Defenders Beyond number four, Deceased, War of the Undead Gods number three, X-Men number 16, Nightwing number 97, Batman... Captain America's Symbol of Truth, number six, Batman Superman World's Finest, number eight, Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings, number four, and Rogues, number four. October has been chock full of comics, so no matter what kind of comics you read, this week there is legit something for you, so make sure you head on over to your comic shop. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, and especially subscriptions really do help me and the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space. Raises up our stock and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here live on the podcast. You can write literally whatever you want, and I will be forced to read it. As long as you give me those five stars, the sky's the limit. Give me those reviews. I would love to read them. And you'll be able to join the likes of our Red 13, including Seafire ND, Joshua Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, Alok and AZ, Sass, and Jedi Jesse 20. I want to say a huge thank you to these fine folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. Also, 
If you uh, want to be part of our Geeksplain mailbag, send your emails to geeksplain at gmail.com. Put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read it here on the show. If you'd like to follow us, if you want to keep up to date with the podcast, participate in polls that decide future episodes, or maybe you just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news, including that She-Hulk finale, uh, feel free to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at GeeksplainedPod. That's at GeeksplainedPod. And finally, every single Friday is the Geeksplained Book Club where I, alongside my amazing friends, are going through every single issue of every single volume of Brian Michael Bendis's Ultimate Spider-Man. We have just kicked off the Miles Morales era of Ultimate Comics Spider-Man. Volume 1 was last week. This week, Volume 2, you are not going to want to miss this. So, make sure you tune in every single Friday for the Geeksplain Book Club. Be there or be square, not a circle. But that does it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. It's been a wild ride. Geektober is almost already over. I feel like this month just blew by. It's kind of crazy. But next week, we're going to round out our uh, our four horse people of the Gotham apocalypse as we finish off Geektober Gotham Nights with a spotlight on your favorite Robin and mine, Tim Drake. So make sure you tune in for that next week. Same geek time same geek channel but for now for the geek explained podcast i've been eric azana thank you so much for listening everybody stay safe and we will see you next time